Get Back to Basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. Hi, a very good afternoon to you. Wonderful to be in your company this afternoon here. Beautiful day again in Johannesburg and coming to you live today from Judaism 101.9 um, on Chai FM. It's wonderful to be with you and to be sharing some thoughts with you about events that are going to be happening in this coming week, in the days up ahead and in the week up ahead. And of course, we're talking about the beautiful Chag, the beautiful festival of Chanukah. Perhaps at the outset, let's just talk about that name, Chanukah. What does the name Chanukah actually mean? Peculiar name for a festival, not that easy for people to pronounce, particularly if you don't have the nice guttural ch sound in your vocabulary. Chanukah. Chanukah, widely celebrated around the world. Where does the name come from? Well, there are a couple of uh, ideas that I could share with you today on Judaism 101.9. The first of all being um, that Chanukah, is from the word uh, Chanukah, coming from the word of Chanukat Habayit, like Chanukat Habayit, the dedication of a home. You know, when you move into a house and you have a celebration to re- to actually dedicate the home, it may be at the time that you put up the mezuzah or the first time that you're entertaining guests, if that's at all possible in COVID regulations, we talk about Chanukat Habayit, the establishment, the dedication of the home. Well, what happened? Um, of course, we're going to go through the story in a moment, but the temple had to be rededicated, and the time of its rededication was the 25th day of Kislev, which actually is Thursday night and Friday of this week. So tomorrow night and Friday is the 25th of Kislev, Chanukah Tabayit. It was the day on which the Bayit, the home of God on earth, the temple in Jerusalem, was rededicated. Um, and this was um, in the second century before the common era where there was a battle that was fought between a wonderful band of men called the Maccabees. And we'll talk about that in a moment under the director, uh, Yehuda Maccabee, as he was known, and fighting against a, um, a, a group that were known as the Syrian Greeks. Now, these are not to be confused with the Greek people of today. It's the Syrian Greeks coming from uh, that land of Syria. They were otherwise known as Seleucids um, coming from the north of Israel. And uh, their actual domination at the time was one that was known as Hellenism, Hellenistic. And yes, it is the forerunner of things like, I guess, Olympic Games um, and so on, because the real focus of these people was the physical, that the body is important, that the physical is important. And there you have it, Olympic Games, etc., the idea of the power of the physical. <coughs> but excuse me, they carried it forward in a grand campaign of actual physical materialism and the power of the physical, the material. That is what it really is all about. And they did not want to subscribe at all or believe in at all and, in fact, wanted to oust the great Jewish teaching of the fact that behind everything there is a soul, that there is something spiritual that is behind every um, thing. And it's not a, all about physicality, but rather the uh, – we call it spirituality, but the soul behind everything that is – 
is of paramount importance. So when you take a look at something physical, you and I are unfortunately not gifted to be able to see the soul, but that doesn't mean that there is not a soul that is there. We all know just based on our own human existence, there is a body, there's a physical, but we all know that the physical is not really me. I could take a look at myself in the mirror or I could point at myself and say, is this me or this is me? And generally pointing at myself, I would be pointing, I guess, towards my heart. But we all know that my heart is not me. My body is not me. I am a composite of my soul and my body. Yes, but the most important thing is my life, my personality, my soul, my me. That is much more important and much more dominant than the body. Parts of the body, God forbid, could become damaged or they could become uh, lost to the individual, but that doesn't diminish the power of that soul. That doesn't diminish the power of that um, um, all-encompassing and all-pervading uh, uh, part of God that is within each and every human being. And if we take that then a little bit further, Judaism believes that there is a soul to everything. There is something spiritual behind everything. And this was the way that God created the world. And when and how did God create the world? He created the world by first creating light. And it was this light that God invested in every single thing that he put into the world. And it is the job of uh, mankind and particularly the job of the Jew to bring that light to the fore, to make sure that that light is what actually um, uh, comes out and what actually comes to light up the entire world. So yes, a piece of wood or a piece of wax or a piece of wick, a piece of uh, or a, a, a little bit of oil, all of these things can and do bring light but it is actually the essence of the light that's within them that needs to be brought out rather than just that they are being combusted and that that is what is creating light. A little bit of a difference um, and a different take. And the Assyrian Greeks, these Seleucids as they were known, or Hellenists, wanted to stamp out this way of thinking from a from the Jewish uh, realm and they wanted to stamp it out from the world per se. And so therefore... Unique, their campaign was to overthrow the temple in Jerusalem. And it wasn't like many of the others who wanted to burn it to the ground and show their victory over God. This was a little more sinister in a way. It was a little bit more circumspect and it was a little bit more spiritual because it was much more of a spiritual battle than it was actually a physical one. Yes, they came on to the teeth and yes, they had their soldiers and so on. And yes, there were bloody battles, but... We were talking much more about a dogma or a, a way of thinking that actually pervaded everything, that dominated everything. And this was what the Assyrian Greeks wanted to do to the Jewish people those thousands of years ago. Get rid of the spiritual essence. Get rid of the uh, spirituality, the soul behind the lights. And therefore, if you think about it, what they actually did was simply to defile the temple. Let's show you. We'll make the temple into any old place. And by doing despicable things within it, uh, we're not going to burn it to the ground. We're not going to destroy it, but we're going to destroy its sanctity. We're going to take away from its sacredness. You telling us that there are all sorts of wonders and miracles within it, we'll show you that 
anything can happen uh, even if it is purely debased and it is pure physicality that we're on about. You're going to tell us that your oil is special and spiritual and that's the only oil that can be used in the menorah. We'll defile that oil. We'll break the seals. We'll show you that it's got absolutely nothing to do with your spiritual um, ideas. It is actually only about the physical stuff that needs to be combusted. And that is the way that things burn. And you'll see that it'll burn exactly the same way on your menorah. So this was the uh, real power behind what the Assyrian Greeks tried to do. And of course, it was Yehuda Maccabee and his band of brave men and the Jewish people per se sticking to their spiritual guns that we actually uh, were able to thwart that attack and the story of Hanukkah evolved. Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. So the story of uh, Hanukkah um, here on Judaism 101.9 continues, and we talk about the Assyrian Greeks and their program of Hellenization or Hellenism, which they tried to bring to bear on the entire world, and particularly of uh, Target was the temple in Jerusalem, Judaism's um, really, really um, completely revolutionary um, in their mind campaign or ideal that everything has a soul, that everything has an ashama, that everything has a secret and special light to it, um, <clears throat> which is the way that God created the world, according to Judaism, with creating light first, that that light was implanted within everything. And that is the driving force, that is the soul of everything. The Hellenists didn't want to believe it, and there was a campaign to try and stamp it out. Of course, there were all sorts of other things that were at play as well, and world domination and territory and uh, all the usual stuff that goes with uh, the wars of old um, came with it. But there was a fight back, and the fight back came in the way of a band of men who were deeply, deeply devout, very, very religious guys. These were not um, warriors um, in the classic sense. These weren't strong-armed fellows. These weren't guys who uh, were uh, out there in order to go and uh, beat people up and so on, vigilantes. This was a group of very, very dedicated men, in fact. Um, not sure if everybody knows, but the name Maccabi, Maccabi, which is usually taken as being something that's either uh, a football club or uh, really got this sort of, um, let's call it a dapper, uh, kind of an image of a real tough guy, uh, sort of image of what these Maccabees were about, were about a revolutionary, uh, organized, sort of a, a, a guerrilla warfare uh, type of people. Yes, that is what they did, but it was because they didn't have uh, the wherewithal to fight a conventional war against the Assyrian Greeks. But they were Yeshiva Bachrim. These were guys who were sitting in studies. These were uh, religious people. These were people who were very, very devout in their Judaism. And uh, being that they came from this family of the Kohanim, um, of the priesthood um, in the temple, decided that they needed to stand up for what was right and they needed to fight for what was right and they needed to make sure that this onslaught on Judaism was thwarted because this wasn't just for the Jews about territorial gain or loss. This wasn't just for the Jews about winning or losing the battle. This was really with our entire existence and our religion and our Judaism all at stake. And therefore, the fight back came from Yehuda Maccabee. Maccabee standing for 
Mi kamocha ba'elim Hashem. We say it every day in our prayers. Mi kamocha ba'elim Hashem. Who is like you, God? In other words, they, uh, the name that was given to them was a name of absolute devotion and dedication. This is what Maccabi stood for, and this is what these um, guys did, rising up as they did, to stand up for what was right and what was correct, to fight for the very heart and soul of Judaism against the onslaught of the Hellenists, the um, Assyrian Greeks, um, the uh, onslaught that they were bringing to bear against uh, Judaism per se in order to stamp out the light of Torah and the light of mitzvot and the light of the temple and the light of the menorah. This was the campaign of fight back from the few who managed to triumph over the many of the uh, small who managed to triumph over the big. And of course, what happened then was something totally and absolutely remarkable. And that was that the um, Maccabees, in gaining on the Assyrian Greeks, eventually managed to drive them out of Israel. And um, as they fled, they left in their wake a temple that was not in ruins. It was not burned to the ground, but um, the menorah was missing. Um, they stole the gold. They took the things of value, and they defiled anything that was um, within that temple, including the oil. And, of course, here came about a great and wondrous miracle. An incredible thing happened because there was only one little jug of oil that they managed to find, I guess, somewhere in uh, the storeroom of the oil. They managed to find this uh, last little jug of oil with the seal of the Kohen Gadol, proving or approving, attesting to the fact that this was something that had the full-fledged complete hechsher of the Kohen Gadol and was from the very, very uh, first drop of olive oil, um, the Shemen Zayid Zach, as it's known, the purest, the pure olive oils that could be used in the temple. This was still with the seal of the Kohen Gadol, and it was found, but it was really only enough for one day. Remember, in those days, the temple was, the menorah was lit every single day. It wasn't just at the time of Hanukkah. It was lit every day in the temple, and it was a light not only unto us, but a light unto the nations. It was a light for the entire world. This light that emanated from the Beit HaMikdash and from the menorah spread out all over the world and provided a spiritual light and a spiritual direction for everybody. And here, the menorah having lost its, um, its, uh, being, being gone, gone missing now, having been stolen from the temple itself, um, in order to fill the coffers of the Assyrian Greek kings. Um, here we had uh, no menorah, one bottle of oil. Well, they hastily managed to manufacture a, a menorah, but they weren't prepared to use anything but the olive oil that had the seal of the Kohen Gadol upon it. Now, according to Jewish law, there was very, very um, uh, clear instruction that if you couldn't use that oil, you could use any oil. But it was really running at the core of the fight, um, the spiritual fight or the argument of the fact that you don't need to use that uh, special spiritual um, hechshed olive oil. They made sure that they would only use that. They were devout and they decided that that was the only thing that they would use. Finding just this little bit, they filled the menorah, lit it, and miraculously it burnt, as we know, for eight days rather than just for the one that it should have burnt. And burning as it did bright for those eight days enabled them to manufacture new olive oil so that after eight days more olive oil could be added. 
And this miracle became known as the miracle of Hanukkah, the miracle of the light, the light that wouldn't go out, the light that burned in the temple. On that menorah, um, it should have been for one day, lasted eight, and enabled them to be able to replace it. And, of course, with uh, living Judaism, as it was in those days, to the best of their ability, providing that spirituality for the entire world in every possible fashion and in every possible way. And so when we think about um, Hanukkah and we think about these miracles, the um, overrunning of the Assyrian Greeks by the small band of Maccabees, the uh, triumph of the miracle of the oil that um, was found and was lasted, outlasted anybody's expectation. We see here um, the hand of God behind and the things that seem in a way to be possible in a natural sense, but um, then explode into the realm of great and wondrous miracles. And so we think about Nisim, and we praise at Hanukkah time the Nisim, the miracles, these great and wondrous miracles, some that come in the way of a human miracle, and others that come in a way of an inexplicable um, alter- alteration of nature in every possible fashion. And this is, in fact, what this festival of Hanukkah is truly all about. And so, Chanu Chafei, we come to a second definition of what Chanukah actually means. Chanu Chafei. They were able to rest. They were able to camp. They were able to stop the wars on Chafei, the 25th of Kislev. And that is tomorrow evening. Now, it's going to be an amazing uh, additional fact that um, the 25th word of the Torah is the word or when Hashem creates the light of um, uh, th- that we speak about right in the beginning of creation at the time of the creation of the world. Hashem creates light first. That light or is the word number 25 in the Torah. If you go into the classical Hebrew Bible, if you're looking for the Torah itself, Genesis right from the beginning, and you count the words, 25th word is the word or light. And so, Hanukkah kind of is predicted right at the beginning. Um, the festival that celebrates the light, the festival that celebrates the depth of our souls and the cel- festival that celebrates the power of Hashem's influence in everything and particularly the fact that Hashem can make, that God can make the most incredible miracles and He does them on our behalf. And sometimes they're recognizable and sometimes they're not. Sometimes they are out there and they are just Amazing and they're mind-blowing, but sometimes they're just in the realms of nature, the miracle of nature, the miracle of the natural, the miracle of things that we take for granted. And it's a celebration of miracles that we have at Hanukkah time. Now, it's often been said, and we often think about, you know, the old uh, sort of cynical Jewish adage of, um, you know, uh, they fought us, we won, let's eat. Um, well, I think that Hanukkah is rather, um, they fought us, we won, let's act, let's do something about it. There is something that we can and we need to do about it. Yes, this may be a hug that you identify with uh, sufganiot, with donuts, and you may be with latkes, uh, potato, <coughs> fried potato pancakes, or anything that is nice and oily because we're celebrating the miracle of the oil. Yes, it may be all of that. And all sorts of other wondrous and beautiful things. But this is not really about eating as much as it is 
about the actions that we need to do, the things that we need to do to celebrate this incredibly powerful, miraculous festival of Hanukkah. Now, it's not a festival on which we are not entitled to drive, to write, uh, to uh, use money, etc., like Shabbat and the uh, three pilgrim festivals or Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. This is a festival that's got a lighter tone in that regard, but there is actually something very, very significant that uh, we all have to do all the time. First of all, there is an addition to our prayers. Our prayers are altered, yes, we say Hallel, and yes, we say um, the special prayers of Al-Hanisim, which are added to our prayers all the time, and Shachrit, Mincha, and Mayriv, whether it's weekday or it's Shabbat, as well as to our Birkat Amazon, to our benching. Um, there are prayer additions, but there are also some very, very special things that we do on a daily basis for the festival of Hanukkah. And that particularly pertains to the lighting of your own menorah, the lighting of your very own candles to celebrate and commemorate this festival. Because this is the way that our sages told us that we need to celebrate this festival. We need to bring more light into the world. Remember, the Assyrian Greeks wanted to stamp out the light. We need to increase in that light. We need to make sure that that light is increased. And yes, there was an age-old difference of opinion between the great sages Hillel and Shammai. Shammai said um, that we should, or the house of Shammai said that we should um, uh, decrease in the light. On the first night, we should light eight candles and we should diminish. Hillel said on the first night, light one, on the second night, two, on the third night, three, in, it, in and of itself symbolizing the idea of this increase in light. And every night of Hanukkah, we light candles. Yes, you can fulfill it just by lighting a candle. But we do it in the way, as Hillel said, Mahadrin min hamahadrin. We do it in the way of the best of the best. We do it in the most beautiful way. And that is increasing in the light, lighting more uh, fire, lighting more light, making more light tonight um, than we had today and tomorrow night even more than that and so on, continually increasing in the amount of light. And this is what we do. We light the menorah each night of Hanukkah, starting from tomorrow evening, that's the first night, and going all the way through till the following Thursday evening, which will be the last night of Hanukkah. Remember, Hanukkah ends on a Friday. It starts on a Friday, ends on a Friday, because it's exa exactly eight days. And for the full eight days, we light this menorah every single night, every single evening. We'll be back with you after a, a little tour to the shops and we'll uh, continue our discussion thinking about or talking about exactly how you light the menorah, what we actually need to do, where you light it, the times, etc. And all coming up very, very soon. Stay tuned to Judaism 101.9. Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. So the menorah was lit in the temple on a daily basis in daytime. Our menorah, the Hanukkah menorah, is lit in the evening. In fact, the correct time for lighting is actually just at nightfall. However, there are many who light a little bit earlier. There's some who begin straight after sunset. So if you're thinking about in Johannesburg this year, we're talking around about 7-ish, 7 o'clock. 
Um, and then thereafter, best time probably about 7.30 actually to light your menorah straight after nightfall or just after the stars come out, 7.20, 7.30 in Joburg, um for the week of Hanukkah. Now, that would only apply, of course, to the weekdays, not Friday night or Shabbat. On Friday night, we need to light the menorah before we light Shabbat candles. And on Saturday night, we light the menorah after we have made Havdalah. So before Shabbat candles would make it a lot earlier. After Havdalah would mean a bit later. Um, after the um, Havdalah is said, probably around quarter to eight or so um, during the coming week on Motzei Shabbat. And the menorah is lit um, each and every night, each and every evening. Um, we may use just about anything as long as it's not um, something that smells bad or something that was made for idol worship or something that is um, going to make a black smoke. Um, we can use any material actually for the menorah. So in other words, olive oil or regular oil or, or uh, candles. Um, Hanukkah candles and so on that may be used each and every night. We try and make sure that the candles should burn for at least half an hour after nightfall. So even if you're lighting a little bit earlier, you need to make sure that you're lighting bigger candles or more olive oil so that the oil and the wick and the flames can burn um, into the night. Now, this would apply on Friday night as well. So on Friday night, we need to make sure that the candles in your menorah are able to burn Half an hour after um, uh, nightfall, so in other words, they would need to burn till let's say approximately eight o'clock. And if you're lighting them at six before you go off to shul or uh, before you light your Shabbat candles, remember then that those candles need to burn for a couple of hours. Your regular Hanukkah candles are not going to do the trick for Friday night. And one needs to light bigger candles, perhaps Shabbat candles themselves <coughs> in your menorah or um, a bigger amount of olive oil, enabling it to burn for longer. The menorah that you use can be made of silver, it can be made of steel, um, it can be made of any substance except something that is going to decay or something that's going to deform or something that's going to look ugly once those flames have burned. So sort of a, uh, a clay pot kind of a material is no good. Each and every flame needs to be separate. We need to be able to see the flame separately. And we traditionally light a shamus, shamus being a um, a um, utility kind of a candle. Now, it's a utility not only in the lighting process, but it's a utility in the way that those candles then stand and burn. It should be on a different level, slightly higher. And most menorahs are designed that way than the other candles in your menorah, and we should make sure that it's clearly visible, that when you walk past, that you can see that that is the shamus and the others are the Hanukkah candles. So if it's the fifth night, for instance, you'll have your five candles on one level, you'll have your shamus on a different level. So it's clear that there are not six candles lit tonight, but rather five plus the shamus. And that shamus is there because we're not allowed to benefit from the light. We're not allowed to benefit in any way from the light of the menorah. And if, God forbid, you walk past and you do benefit, if you read by that light or you use it to find something and so on, that, in fact, we can say then that we were actually using the light of the shamus because we're told clearly that these candles of the menorah, we need to gaze at them, we need to look at them. They are there, lirotam bilvad, just to see them, to see them, to kind of bask in the glory of Hashem's great and wondrous miracles. That's what it's about 
That's why we light them and to remember that we are spreading and bringing more light into this world. Back with you right after this. Get back to basics with Judaism 101 with Rabbi Michael Katz. So the main job of each and every one of us is to add light, to bring more light into the world. And at the same time, to remember the miracles and at the same time to remember the power of light. Light not only attracts light, not only lights up, but light brings us to understand the essence, the core of what Judaism really is all about. It gets to that very, very deep place where we can understand that it's all about the essential light that is embedded within everything, that this is truly what we are celebrating and the miracles of how it comes into being, how it came into being, how it can be added to, how we can um, uh, increase in that light and certainly turn away a tremendous amount of darkness. Now, um, harsh to think about the fact that it's already been a year since we first got to hear about COVID-19. Remember, it was December 2019 that we started to hear about this illness, about this pandemic that was starting in China and that then was spreading. And it's been a full year that we have been under the uh, cudgel of this um, terrible, terrible pandemic. And it's really altered the way we have perceived and we see and we look at everything. Um, let's spend some time thinking about this Hanukkah, the real power of that light, whether it's at a public menorah lighting. And, of course, Chabad is having public menorah lightings at uh, Kosher World and at Norwood and, of course, our big one at Santon City. Um, you can watch on Zoom the Santon City lightings um, for a couple of the nights, certainly. Um, but when you pass them by, just remember that they're there to remind us. They're not there to fulfill the mitzvah. The mitzvah has to be done at home. And at home, you will light your menorah, please God, every night of Hanukkah. If you don't have a Hanukkah menorah, please make sure you contact Chabad and let's get one to you. Um, of course, they are for sale wherever you uh, have a good Jewish bookstore. Try us at the Chabad bookshop in Kosher World and make sure you get all the things that you need, your candles, your uh, olive oil. Um, your Hanukkah, your menorah, um, whatever you need for Hanukkah available there. And light every night. Um, make sure that everybody is present. Your entire family need to be present at the time that you light the menorah. Everybody is living, living under that roof. Children should be present as well. And if everybody lights their own menorah, how much better? And it should be in a place where it is visible. It's visible to the outside if you've got a window that overlooks a public space um, or it needs to be in a doorway opposite the mezuzah. That's the best place to place your menorah. So when you walk through that doorway, you're surrounded by the mitzvahs. Let's spread that light. Let's share that light. Let's increase that light. And let's make sure that that light drives away all darknesses, pandemics, dark things, negative things, negativity, the Hellenists' ideas. And let's hope that ultimately it brings us back to the time when the menorah will be lit once again in the temple in all its glory with the coming of Mashiach. May he come speedily in our time. I want to wish you a great rest of the week, a great Shabbat up ahead, and a beautiful, wonderful Chag of Hanukkah. Please go to Freilichen, beautiful, Lichtiken, beautiful, lit up Hanukkah to you and to your families, everybody, everywhere, and hopefully very, very soon. We will see that ultimate light of Mashiach now. Take care. Look forward to being back with you same time, same place next week on Judaism 101.9.